Lord, at this time we pause to ask that your spirit descend upon us, that you open our hearts, that you clear away any distractions that compete for our attention, and that you speak to us where we can take the word that is about to be read and we can allow it to to penetrate our hearts and to move us and to, to shape us and to make us more like Christ. Lord, bless the reading of this word. Make it, even though these words were written so long ago, make them relevant for us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up, and the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the disorder honoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and, re- and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, The last several weeks we've been doing a sermon series on mind wars, on the battles that go on within our mind and how they affect our relationship with God, and how they uh, affect our relationship uh, with each other. And what we've discovered is that the the mind really is a battlefield. There are a lot of battles being waged constantly, uh, battles for our attention, battles for uh, our love, battles of, of... our anxieties over our faith battles for purity, and all of these things are, are, are skirmishes that, that we must go into boldly and confidently uh, with God's help. And as we've been doing this, because this is sort of a Star Wars-inspired series, we've been calling the scripture our lightsabers, a light to our, our path and, and the sword of the spirit. So today we'll, we'll be looking to see what the scriptures have to say about how we can win the battle over idolatry or the the idolatrous mind now when we hear that we we think do we really need to hear about that i mean we we don't uh we don't bow down before idols the way they did in biblical times and and isn't that what what paul is talking about here the the images that were made to look like birds and like other men and people worshiping those and and there's there's a lot of scriptures that that talk about that but I want to point out that even when these things are talked about in Scripture, even when it's talked about worshiping images or statues or other deities or whatever, there's, there's something else at the root of it. There's something else at the heart of it. If you have your lightsabers with you, turn to the book of Acts. 
And in the book of Acts, Paul has uh, he's had his conversion experience. He's gone out on his missionary journey. And, and here he is traveling through Asia Minor. He is going through Ephesus. And, and when he gets to Ephesus, uh, there's, I guess you could say, kind of a cult there. They worship this god Artemis. They even have a temple dedicated to Artemis. So if you look at Acts chapter 19, and we'll begin in, in, in verse 23 and go through 27. This is Paul going through Ephesus where, where the people worship Artemis. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours might come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. So here we have Demetrius, who makes his living making these little statues of Artemis. And all these, these other craftsmen who do the same, they, they, they make these little statues. And what they were is, is they had become basically tourist attractions. And people who would come through Ephesus would, would go visit this, this famous historic temple to Artemis. And they would buy these, these little statues. And, and this still goes on in our world today. When people go to India, uh, they may go to a little souvenir shop and purchase a little figurine or statue of Krishna. Or, or if they go to China or someplace like that, maybe they'll, they'll buy a little Buddha doll or Buddha figurine. And, and that's what was going on. They, these people were, were making these little statues of Artemis and they were selling them. And so, yes, Artemis was this deity that people were worshipping, but it was also sort of a, an, an economic thing. And that's really what Demetrius was upset about. Notice that's what he led off with. He said, this brings us great wealth, and our, our wealth is going to be disturbed by this. People, Paul and his people coming in and preaching Christianity, it's, it's going to upset our economy. It's going to upset people coming in and buying these, these figurines that we sell. So we see that for Demetrius, this, this, this idol that he was making and selling really wasn't even his personal god. His god was his business, his wealth. That's where his heart was. And Christianity wasn't so much uh, coming to upset this other religion, this false religion. In his mind, it was coming to upset his religion, which was his own, his own uh, career, his, his personal means of wealth. In Deuteronomy, before the, the children of Israel went into the Promised Land, Moses warned them about idol worship. He told them, don't go after the, the gods of, of other nations. Don't be worshiping idols that the, the, the pagans worship. And, and when he said this, at the time, they, they did something similar. They had these little statues, these little gods that they would carry in their, their bags or in their pockets. And they would carry them as, as sort of this, uh, this deity, this power that they had with them that they would call upon. They would pull it out of their, pack, their, their pocket and they, they had this little deity. Now again, you may be sitting there thinking, what, what does this have to do with us? We don't carry gods around. We don't carry idols around in our pockets. 
but that's not really true. I'm not saying that we have a problem worshiping our phones, our cell phones, but I am saying that anything can compete for our attention, can compete for our our hearts and our minds. And I'm not slamming the use of cell phones. I use mine every day for a lot of things, to to communicate with people, to to schedule things, to, to look up things. They're a great tool. In fact, Richard Harris was just telling me yesterday about him and his son, Drew, went on a hike. And as they were hiking, they they came up on a dead man. Literally, there was a dead man on the trail. And they had to contact the authorities and get somebody out there to to find out where they were. And, of course, Richard didn't know what he was doing. He was doing something with his phone. And and Drew, his son, had to take it away from him and and say, uh, these are the exact coordinates. This is where we are. And and so they were able to tell the authorities that this is where we are on the trail, on the mountain, and they were able to get there. They come in very, very handy when we need them. The problem is when, when they dominate our thoughts, when they dominate our lives, then we know we have a problem because something is pulling our attention and our focus constantly to it. And again, I'm not picking on cell phones specifically because it can be anything. It can be a number of things. Uh, It it could be our hobbies. It could be something that we're really invested into, that we're we're always seeking gratification from. And it it just, our minds constantly, our thoughts gravitate towards that thing. Um, And and, and I see this in in many other ways. Somebody was just telling me this past week that they, they have a friend who is really into Frisbee golf. If you've ever played Frisbee golf or heard about it, it's it's basically golf, except you play it with a Frisbee. It's exactly what it sounds like. And I have nothing against Frisbee golf. If somebody wanted to play with me, I'd I'd like to go out there and throw a Frisbee with them. But this person was so into Frisbee golf that they said they had spent thousands of dollars on different types of Frisbees. Now, not being a Frisbee golf enthusiast, that sounds ridiculous to me. They were talking about they've got this Frisbee that costs $200. This one over here costs $400. I'm thinking, they're Frisbees. And you're spending all this time and this money and this thought on your Frisbees. That's when you know something is competing for your thoughts and for your focus. When you spend that much time and that much money on a hobby, it's a rabbit hole. It keeps going. You can never fully quench that that thing that 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 is is itching that that itch that's there you can never really scratch it and it's the same way with technology it's the same way with phones there will always be a newer phone a faster phone a smaller phone that comes out and you'll just keep chasing it and when you put your heart and your mind and your focus onto things like that there's no fulfillment in it uh and, and, and how do we really know that, that we've gotten to a place of worship? Maybe that's, that's a gray area, that's a fine line. There's, there's a, a quote from Augustine, uh, St. Augustine, and it's attributed to him. I don't know if he really said it or not. But, uh, but he says that when you worship something that's supposed to be used, that's idolatry. And when you use something that's supposed to be worshipped, that's idolatry. In other words, if all of your heart is going towards a tool, you've idolized it. And if God merely becomes something in the background that you use for your gain, then that means you're idolizing something else. That's where that, that gray area comes in. There's, there's a, a deep irony 
and the word that we use to describe our, our role in the economy. When we call ourselves consumers, it's ironic because in reality we are not consumers. We are consumed. We are consumed by things. We are consumed by desire. We are consumed by the money or the means that it takes to get what we, what we want, what, what it is that we feel that we need. And, and in this day and age, it requires so much effort to focus our hearts and our attention on God uh, when, when everything else is competing for our attention. That's why in, in our service, we, we open the service with a prelude where Brenda or Patty is playing music. And we have right here in the bulletin, we have a Lectio Divina, a scripture that's meant to, to prepare us, to focus our hearts and our thoughts on God there in, in the early stages of the worship service. Before we pray, the choir sings. That's to usher us into the presence of the Holy Spirit. Before I read the scripture, I ask that that God opens our hearts and our minds. All of this is done in preparation so that we can put our attention on God where it belongs because we know that our worship is not real if our attention is not actually on God. And I know it's hard. I know it's difficult to come in and, 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 and just sit here and worship and have your, your full attention and your full focus on God. But that's why we do so many things to make sure our attention is going in that direction. It's why we have Wednesday night meetings. So, so we realize that in the middle of the week, as other things start to grab our attention and pull us, we, we can come here in the middle of the week and sort of hit the reset button. And refresh ourselves and get our minds and our hearts on God again. That's why we do these things. The hope is that we will become like the psalmist who said in Psalm 119, I wake up early in the morning and cry out. I hope in your word. I stay awake all night so that I can think about your promises. How many of us can honestly say that as we are falling asleep, we are thinking about God's promises? And when we wake up in the morning the first thing we do is we cry out to God. That's a difficult commitment to make. And, and I can tell you, you, if you want to evaluate yourself, if you want to really get real with yourself, think about what is the very first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning. Is it what you're going to do that day? Is it what's for breakfast? Is it, uh, what is it? A plan that you have? Is it a hobby that you're thinking about? Whatever your mind goes to first thing in the morning when you wake up, that's a good indication that that's probably where, where your, a lot of your attention is going. That's where your heart is going. Let us strive to be like the psalmist who wakes up and immediately realizes God's blessing on their life. The first thought in the morning is let me cry out to God. Thank Him for another morning. Thank Him for another day. When we get off that track, when we start putting other things first, we find ourselves on on a slope. And all the other battles that we try to fight in our mind, the battle for purity, the battle over anxiety, the battle for, for wisdom, all these other battles we've talked about, they're fought in vain. We're going to lose them if we cannot first win this battle over idolatry. Because if God is not the focus of our hearts and our minds, we can't do anything else. We can't successfully defeat any other sinful thought that will pop into our mind. That is why when God gave the the Ten Commandments, the very first two that He gave were, Have no other gods before me, and do not make for yourself 
a, a graven image to be worshipped. And when Jesus told the lawyer, he, he said the, the first commandment, the greatest commandment, is love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind. That's because everything else, every other difficulty we face, it flows from this. Our ability to, to, to defeat anxiety with our faith, our ability to, to achieve purity in our heart and our mind, our ability to make right decisions that, are, that align themselves with God's will, all of it starts here. Is God the focus of our heart? Is he the focus of our thoughts? And these, these days, we are bombarded with images, with ads, with people who want your attention. And more so than ever, we have to make an effort to put our heart and our focus on God. If you ever go uh, online, if you look through Facebook or anything like that, you'll see ads for these, these articles. And, and it's called clickbait. It's, it's something that will try to grab your attention and you click on it because you, you want to, wait a second, what does that mean? What is that supposed to And some of these things are really ridiculous. Like you'll, you'll see one, I saw one that said um, 29 child actors who committed suicide. And it'll have a picture on it of Jonathan Taylor Thomas, an actor from Home Improvement. And of course, he, he did not commit suicide. But they put that picture up there next to that headline and you want to click it. Because you say, wait a second, I didn't know that. And when you click on it, it's not 29 people in a list. It's one person, and you have to click next. And you have to read the second person. You have to click next. And you spend all this time clicking through 29 pages of the article. And if you notice, on every single page, there's an ad, a commercial for something. And then you get to page 29, and you see Jonathan Taylor Thomas never was on it. It was a bunch of people you never heard of. But you just clicked through 29 ads. They wanted your attention. You fell for it. They drew you in. We live in a world where they're always trying to draw us in. Whether it's through billboards or advertisement or music, media, whatever it is, people are always trying to grab your attention because they want something else from you. They want your money. They want your attention. Ultimately, they want your soul. And all of it is up for grabs if we allow our attention to be manipulated by the world around us. But what happens when we deliberately, faithfully give our attention to God? Worship happens. Real worship. Authentic worship. The book of James talks about being a doer and not just a hearer of the word. And he talks about the implanted word, meaning what God tells you in your heart. And he says that anyone who hears the word and then doesn't go out and do it is like a person who looks in the mirror and then forgets what they look like. Now, some people have said that James is teaching you know, works-based righteousness. That's not what he's doing. What he's saying is the thing that God has told you, the instruction that you've been given, should be on your heart and on your mind at all times because when it is, then you will naturally do these good works. You can't help it. When God is first place in your heart and on your mind, you will naturally worship him with your actions. And that's a lot different than coming to church and sitting there and waiting for 30 minutes or whatever for the service to be over. That's, that's what we tend to think of as worship. But worship is really letting God have first place in your heart and mind and then letting your actions flow from there. Right actions cannot flow from the heart if God is not first place in your mind. There's a reason we worship. 
on the first day of the week. There's a reason we worship in the morning time on the first day of the week. The goal is to set our minds and our thoughts and our attention on God and to pursue Him first. And everything else will flow from there. If we're trying to just merely fit God into the blank spaces, the gaps, the, the, the places in our lives where we're just killing time, then we don't truly have our hearts and our minds focused on worshiping Him. Where's your attention today? Where do you find your thoughts gravitating? Are we loving God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our strength, and with all of our minds? Because if not, it may be time for us to refocus. It may be time for us to hit that reset button, to reset our hearts and our minds and our attention. Because all the battles of the mind, all the struggles, all the spiritual warfare that goes on around us, it's all fought in vain if we cannot say honestly that we have no gods before God. Let us pray. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for all the times that we have allowed our attention to be drawn away by the things of the world, by technology, by hobbies, by even other relationships that, that we place a priority on ahead of you. Lord, we ask that you forgive us and that you help us to set that reset button, to place our thoughts and our focus on you day and night. Lord, we ask that you will be our waking thought so that we can live our days in praise and adoration and determine to win the battles of our mind, not because we have the strength to do it, but because our attention and our hearts are focused on the one who has already defeated evil. Lord, be our God, be our hope, be our strength and our deliverance. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.